Hello everyone, this is Saqib hosting the show at Cricket with an Accent, uh, welcoming you uh, during these tough times of uh, COVID and lockdowns wherever you are. Uh, we are trying our bit to produce a podcast uh, every week now uh, and hopefully this keeps you engaged uh, with some listening experience. And today this is uh, this is back to our roots, a normal in-house podcast after uh, I was able to do three or four interviews with guests. Now we have Sabi Asan and Sankit Singhwal, the two resident voices who've been on the podcast before. So let me welcome these guys. Hey guys, welcome you back hey. to the show. Thank you. Yeah, thank you. It's been a long time. Yeah, I mean, we are all in touch in some way or the other, Twitter or phone, but yeah, we haven't shared this space. And this is a podcast which me and Sanket and Sabi separately have talked about. And uh, there's plenty of nostalgia topics, plenty of relevant topics we can address. So let's start with something uh, that transpired when India was touring New Zealand. Me and Sanket were talking uh, on Twitter, I mean, chatting. So Sanket is a guy I usually go to, you know, test the cricket temperatures. And I was a uh, little old school uh, in my view. So, and I also read an article about Riddhiman Saha and Rishabh Pant was given the go-ahead in, in the test series. And uh, Sanket thinks, uh, of course, both keepers are good, but Sanket thinks whenever you have a better batsman who can keep like a Gilchrist, but then there are not many Gilchrists in the world. So that's the argument we want to, or discussion we want to explore. I will try to drive this conversation. Gentlemen, start your engines. So Sanket... Uh, Let's take example of the two guys we mentioned, Pant and Saha. So do you go always with Pant irrespective of India is playing in India or abroad or does it matter against oppositions? I think I think it's always a balancing act. And, you know, whenever you're choosing a wicketkeeper batsman, you know, the general cliche viewpoint is that you just you always go for the better keeper and the runs are only a bonus, which I, I think that that's clearly outdated in the game. And I'll, I'll probably quote the numbers later, which show that, which show the changes that have occurred in in the role of a wicketkeeper batsman over the years. Uh, but yeah, I think for me, as I said, I think for me, a wicketkeeper batsman is as good as an all-rounder. So whenever you pick an all-rounder, you consider both the aspects of the game. You're not just picking him for his batting, or you're not just picking him for his bowling. You're considering the overall package, and the wicketkeeper batsman is no different. So you have to look at the overall package in those conditions. So. so uh, yeah, when, whenever you're assessing the role of a wicketkeeper batsman, first you've got to look at you know the conditions that he'll be playing in and and how difficult they are for a wicketkeeper and how much would having a poor wicketkeeper behind the stumps will cost you in terms of you know drop catches or buys or you know miss stumpings or whatever. I mean you know in in, in a fielding uh, from a fielding point of view or a keeping point of view. At the same time, you, you've got to take into account you know the difference in the uh, in, in the uh, abilities with the bat of the two batsmen in those set of conditions against that particular bat. So, so, so are you, let me, let, let me just, you know, interject here. Are you saying this response, uh, keeping the red ball cricket or white ball or both? Uh, are, you, are you able to distinguish? This is, this is, I think, universally applicable to any format. Because ultimately, a wicket keeper batsman is, is an all-rounder for me in all formats of the game. You know, and... You know, ultimately, you, you need someone. I'm not saying that you pick up, you pick a part-time keeper. I mean, you can probably get away with a part-time keeper in the shorter formats of the game. But obviously, in Test cricket, you still need a full-time keeper. So, and I'm not saying that you go for someone like a Ambati Raidu or a, uh, you know Kedar Jadav type wicket keeper who can, who's a part-time keeper who can, who's obviously a, a much better batsman than any of the specialist wicket keepers. But 
you know, when you, whenever you're comparing two full-time keepers, again, I, I, I'm just saying that you've got to look at both aspects of that game. So, you know, if you're, if, if you're comparing Punt versus Saar, say if you're playing in New Zealand, so you just got to, you know, it, you have to do this analysis of, you know, how much do you think that Punt was clearly the inferior keeper of the two? How much do you think Punt will cost you behind the stumps uh, in, in New Zealand conditions where you, you've got to assess how difficult they will be for him as a keeper uh, and how much will he cost you behind the stumps compared to Saha and as and how much will he be able to give you additionally the bat as compared to Saha and the same when you're playing in the subcontinent in the subcontinent the the logic for Virat Kohli is that you know since yeah, keeping in the subcontinent is arguably tougher than it is in New Zealand because you you know you're playing on turning pitches you've got to stand up to the spinners and India ha- often have two two maybe sometimes three spinners. Uh, so you know that that is the time when you're uh, when you needed someone who's a very good keeper, and Saha is clearly a much better keeper standing up to the stumps than Vishab Pant. But no, you know, again, like this is to... this is just a brilliant point you just said. Uh, and there's no shortage of you know good analysis from your point of view. But I read an article which I mentioned, and this is where something very fascinating that it took years for Saha to read Ashwin's variations, and there was something about his footwork that he's this he's in so in sync with Ashwin's, you know, uh, variations. There's some time he's reading, he, he's moving after the ball has bounced, which is so quick. I don't even know, like, how many keepers can master it. And then he started reading the baller's mind. So I think you raised some very good points uh, right there. So let's bring Sabi in, and then we'll come back to you. I don't want to cut you off. But Sabi, are you okay with the way Sanket is going? I know these two keepers are uh, maybe... Saha is a better keeper, but then... Uh, Rishabh Pant is such a big talent with the bat. How do you see it? It depends, actually. Um, uh, red ball cricket, I think uh, that's where a lot of difference. Uh, I think in red ball cricket, you need you need a very good bat. So I'm not going with someone who who's a very good keeper but cannot bat. Uh, I, I whatever I have seen, not much, but Saha and and Pant, and if I compare, Saha is not a bad batsman. And if I if I remember correctly, I once I saw his um, his uh, stats and, and I think he was averaging around 30 with the with the bat. So that's that's not a that's not bad for for a very good keeper. Uh, Pant on the on the other hand is a good batsman, uh, is an attacking batsman, uh, but have not proved a lot uh, in the Test arena yet. But he's he's not a very good keeper. So keeping in Test cricket, you know, if you if you make one mistake, that can that can be a really challenging aspect you know if let's say if you if you drop someone like uh, um kane williamson on on 10 and then he makes it 150 then 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 what is the point of having having a having a good good uh, batsman who can keep so so for test cricket definitely i feel uh, you you need a really good keeper so if i if i compare it back in 90s uh, at least for pakistan era you know where we had uh, two very good keepers um I would not say a very good keeper in uh, for Muin Khan, but we had two keepers, Muin Khan and Rashid Latif. And Rashid Latif was was really really good behind the stumps, but he and he was a very handy batsman. But on the other hand, if you look at it, Muin Khan was was not a not as competent keeper, but he was a very gutsy batsman. So so I, I mean everybody have different opinions, but I feel that that having a very good keeper behind the stump in Test cricket is is very important. And I don't and I I, I disagree with with going. On different keepers in different conditions, because keeper is one of those players in a team who who gels, who basically gels the team. So it's, it's important that he's playing consistently 
throughout everywhere. So I feel uh, Saha should take should take precedence over Pant. Um, Okay, so let me add something Sanket has said to me and then he can explain. I'm sure he's not forgetting it. But Sanket and I, when we were discussing this, he used the example of Pakistani bowlers and he said there were a lot of drop catches. But it was a brilliance of those bowlers, Vaseem, Vakar, Akib, whoever it was, Shweb. They were creating chances. So Sanket, uh, do you disagree with Sabi overwhelmingly or you think it's partially correct? But do you want to bring the Pakistani bowling and drop catches analogy you explained to me once? Yeah, I think I think I think with regards to the point that he raised about Kane Williamson, and you know, if 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 the wicketkeeper drops Kane Williamson on ten, and if Kane Williamson goes on to score one fifty, then I I don't think the wicketkeeper is solely responsible for that because that means he you conceded one forty runs to Kane Williamson without creating a single chance. Now if now if 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 you're dropping him at regular intervals, if if, if you're dropping at him at after every 30, 40 runs, 50 runs, then that's a different ball game altogether. Then obviously the fielders have to take a large amount of fielders or wicketkeepers, whoever is dropping him, has to take a large amount of responsibility. But you know, I've seen at times some arguments, you know, where some someone was arguing with me on Twitter about Brendan McCullum's triple hundred, where he was dropped early on in his innings and then he went on to score a triple hundred and he attributed that to poor fielding, which I find it a little, little bit absurd because yeah, you you don't score a triple hundred just due to one drop catch. What were the bowlers doing for the remaining remaining two ninety runs? And I mean, you know, you, you can talk about the psychological impact and all that, but drop catches, you know, are, are part and parcel of the game. You've got to accept that. You know, even the best teams have drop catches. Even the best bowlers. But is there is there drop. Sanket? Is there a nature of drop catch? Are we talking about like a, I mean, I'm no expert, but are we talking about a technical keeping footwork blunder? Are we talking a difficult catch because stats will show McCallum or Ponting was dropped once when they were say on ten, but it doesn't show what kind of a drop it was. So you want to explain uh, what kind of a drop are we talking here? Exactly, and I think one of the one of the issues that I have with you know blaming wicket keepers is that, and you drop McCallum on ten, and then. If you drop, if the wicketkeeper drops an absolute sitter on, of McCallum on 10 and then someone goes on to dismiss him another 20 runs later, then you forget about the drop catch. Whereas, you know, someone drops McCallum on 10, uh, which is a very tough catch, and then he scores on to score a triple hundred and then you blame the wicketkeeper. So, that, 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 that you know, the, the often the blame, blame game that is attributed to wicketkeepers or the fielders, that is, that, that is often decided by what the eventuality of the result is. And, and not necessarily the piece of keeping or fielding itself. So, if if I mean if you're dropping a simple chance of Mohammad Shami, and and that is arguably a worse piece of fielding than dropping a tough chance of Virat Kohli, but people will only remember the the, the guy who dropped a tough chance of Virat Kohli because Virat Kohli can hurt you, whereas Mohammad Shami can't hurt you. So that is again something that needs to be taken into consideration whenever you're judging a keeper or a fielder or any, any anyone who's Basically, on the free level, uh, you've got to take into account their technique and uh, the nature of the drop catch, and you know the situation in which it happened, and not just you know based on the nature, uh, based on the uh, stature of the batsman or what what eventuated later on. Because if, if the bowlers are not creating enough chances, then you're you're likely to lose the match anyways. So before and we bring said, before we bring Sabi back for a response, do you want to talk about the Pakistani bowling analogy that you said they were drop catches, but they kept creating chances? So do you want to add to that part of the discussion? Yeah, I think so. I mean, the Pakistan bowlers, as I said, I think people often say that Pakistan were 
poor poor bowling side a uh, poor fielding side and that is one of the reasons why they were not as successful as they could have been but if you look at the if you look at the record with the ball you know they still they still were among the top bowling sides you know they still used to bowl opposition out very cheaply and they were still among the top bowling sides of that decade in the 90s or you know maybe the earlier one as well uh, so despite dropping catches they were still able to generate enough chances where the drop catches didn't matter as much as, as it would have for some other team which don't quite have as good a bowling attack so you know one of the reasons why i feel maybe and uh, the the reason why i feel pakistan were probably not as successful as they could have been is probably the batting because they were not scoring enough runs in the bat but it is i think a lot easier to blame fielders because it is it is something that is very easily i think it is easily observable whereas if, if someone plays a bad shot and if someone chases a wide one outside the off stump that for me is a much bigger unforced error than dropping a tough catch in the slips but the people will probably remember the drop catch more so if the, especially if the batsman goes on to score 100 than the bad shot uh, slashing outside the off stump which is that that, that that is that is basically how the uh, the audience the, me- the memory of the audience works and you know i don't i, I don't feel for that but i I think this is where advanced statistics that you get these days in the form of quick wins and you know they they maintain those steely impact stats and all I think that they, they play a very important role I, I remember during the I think this recent India New Zealand ODI series where you know Virat Kohli uh, India lost that series 3 and Virat Kohli attributed it to poor fielding and then ready build of quick uh, wins and then he came out with the actual numbers uh, according to their fielding impact and It, it it actually said that india actually had fielded better than new zealand throughout the series but they had a more positive fielding impact compared to new zealand even though new zealand are supposed to be one of the best fielding sides in the world and the cliche is that they always uh, they, they are a better fielding side in india but in that particular series their fielding impact was better than india's and the reason why india lost the series was not because of their fielding but because of the batting and bowling which was not quite up to the mark and new zealand outplayed india but yeah it's not easier to blame fielders because that is something that you know drop catches is something that you can easily point a finger to as opposed to a bad delivery or a bad shot okay no that, that's definitely uh, one way of looking at it and uh, it's a balanced reply so sabhi i'm sure you were eager to say a few things so do you want to put another uh, counter to what sanket has said i mean um, so so if we if we compare uh, let's say Amran Akmal was keeping for Pakistan uh, from 2004 to 2011 um, or 12. Um, someone posted on Pak Passion uh, his drop catches, and it was 94 drop catches. And when we talk about drop catches, it was not tough catches. It was it was simple regulation drop catches. And I remember personally back in 2006 when Pakistan toured England. I think he dropped like 16 or 17 catches in that series alone. So, so uh, you know, Sankit was talking about maybe a generation of '90s when when Wasim and Wakar and Shoaib Akhtar was there, and, and they 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 sometimes don't even need a keeper or slip fielder because they they were using reversing and they used to get batsmen out LBW or bold. So, you know, but now back in 2000 when Asif and Mohammad Amir was playing, you, you need someone who can. who can keep behind the wicket and i would say the same thing if glen mcgraw is bowling and you don't you have a keeper someone like kamran akmal keeping he it would be very t- it would have been very tough for him to get 400 or 500 wickets so uh, you know dropping a catch uh, by a fielder it's a different but dropping a catch by a keeper is 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 actually a disaster 
for for team for for team morale. And if we go back in 2011 World Cup semi-final between Pakistan and India, Sachin Tendulkar was dropped four times in that match, and he he turned out to be made 80 80 something, right? So the complexion of the game might have been completely different if if he would have been caught at the first time. So so Sabi, do you okay? No, those are again solid points, and I think. Uh, you both are making you know a very interesting uh, debate here but uh, what sanket said i want you to weigh in on that as well if mccallum is dropped say on 10 or 14 then he goes and scored 300 plus runs and then he's pretty much unbeaten so how do you see is that uh, is that an an anomaly you will still blame the keeper or you think okay uh, one drop but you know the five bowlers or six bowlers use cannot break his rhythm for the next 300 runs so uh- So the, the 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 thing here is, if you look at the conditions here, uh, you know it's a batting conditions these days in all over the world, and uh, uh, dropping a catch I think is really crucial. Um, you know, I I would blame a keeper or or a fielder if if he was dropped earlier in the inning and then he makes a huge runs. I mean, uh, yeah, part of a blame should go to the bowlers as well because they were not able to contain, but initially they were able to able to. Uh, get the, get the uh, get someone out earlier in the inning but that didn't happen so so the blame should go to the the person who dropped the catch so let's take this forward sabhi so me and sankit again have talked about this so if there's a gilchrist versus healy debate which way would you lean i know Gil, both are legends but gilchrist is you know such a match winner in the in white ball yeah. cricket so yeah so that's point so so gilchrist and healy if we compare uh, both the keepers you know gilchrist was not a bad keeper we're talking about uh, about Uh, maybe a keeper Healy who was who was hundred percent and and then Gilchrist was like ninety five percent ninety six percent. Gilchrist was probably as good keeper as someone in that era. So um, I would I would have gone with Gilchrist at that time. So so in a way you agree with Sanket like a keeper batsman is good if the gap is somewhat marginal. But if the gap is more, I don't know what more is here. So let's go back to Sanket. So Sanket, what Sabir? Sorry, just, just, to, just to bring that up, gap have to be little. It have to be marginal. You know, it, it does not need to be someone like Saha or Pant. Uh, so in in Test cricket, I'm talking about. Sanket, fire away. No, yeah, no, I, I I agree with the principle. And again, you know, what is the gap? I think that is. I mean, it's it's very difficult to quantify, and I think that depends on conditions. So if you're, if you're playing in England. For example, which is a tough place to keep, then obviously I think you need someone who's who's a perfect keeper or near perfect. Whereas you know, in, in a place like Australia, for example, you can probably get away with a slightly inferior keeper. I, I, I the one point that I was actually you know making earlier about Saha versus Pant in Indian conditions is that you know there there are two schools of thoughts here. One is that Saha is a much bigger, much better keeper than Pant in in subcontinental conditions, keeping to the spinners up front. So I think you know, Sabi said that Pant is a bad keeper. I personally don't agree that he's necessarily a bad keeper to fast bowlers because Pant has a keep catching efficiency of 91% against fast bowlers. So that's not bad at all. You know, Saha has got something like 94%, so he's better there as well. But it's not a huge difference. So when it comes to keeping against fast bowlers, which is what you primarily have to do when you're touring outside the subcontinent, and there's not really much of a difference between Pant and Saha. So that is why I said that you know going ahead with Pant over Saha is is not a bad move at all outside Asia. Whether Pant's batting is good enough to justify that, that's a different debate. Because I think Pant's batting has probably been a little bit overrated so far as well. He got those two hundreds in England and Australia, but they came in situations where, and in one of the matches it was came on it came on a very flat wicket where India were already in a very strong position. The other came when it was pretty much a lost cause and he just he just basically threw his bat around. And there are there is an argument to be had that Saha has probably scored tougher runs with the bat for India 
in tough conditions than uh, than Pant as well. He, he got a very good hundred against Australia at Ranchi in 2017 when the match was hanging, match and the series was hanging in the balance. You know, he got 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 a runs, uh, got a very good hundred in the Caribbean as well on a on a seeming seeming track in 2016. So th- there are arguments to be made both ways. But I think the larger point that I'm trying to uh, you know make across here, and it's not just about Saha versus Pant, but I think. The, which is true for wicketkeepers all over, and I think it is about the opportunity cost analysis. And uh, and for for a team like India, uh, dropping catches, even though Saha might be a much better keeper than Pant at home, and the difference between their keepings keeping might not be as big overseas, but India are a much better bowling side at home. You know, even though their fast bowling attack is now very good as well, but India because of the kind of runs that they that they, they score at home, they they you know mass 500, 600 runs. Almost every single test at home, so they have a much larger margin for error when it comes to keeping in home conditions. It doesn't really matter if they drop few catches at home; they can, they will still win the test match because they are that fast period to the opposition. Whereas when you're playing in Australia, England, or South Africa, or New Zealand, you have to take your chances because the margin between the sides is much smaller, and that is where you know your fielding and keeping needs to be perfect because you 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 need your fielders and keepers to back the bowlers up consistently because. You know, even though they might create chances, but the match, the run scoring environment there is much lower. So in a low scoring match, you obviously cannot afford to drop too many catches, because even 300 might be a match winning score in England. Whereas you know, in India, it's not really a big deal because India can score 600 anyways. So that is the point that I'm making. So so say for example, in India, I still think there is a counter case for Pant to be picked over Saha. You know, in India, even though Saha is a much better keeper against spin. Purely because it doesn't really matter for India. Even if Pant drops three or four catches in the match, I think the chances are 90% that India will still go on to win the test fairly comfortably. Whereas overseas, uh, you can make the opposite argument. Even though, even though you know Saha, the difference between keeping Saha and Pant's keeping is not that big, the chances to be had overseas are few and far between. So. You'd probably need a better keeper. Personally, if you ask me, I would go with Pant in both the conditions, purely because he's younger. And I think, you know, if you're building a team, and I think Sabi pointed out that you want one wicketkeeper in all conditions uh, because he drives the team and all. Personally, I'm not so sure about you know things like driving the team and you know team morale. I personally don't like to you know delve too much into intangibles like that. But you know, in an ideal world, with the consistency of selection, team selection, I believe that you know having one keeper. Across all conditions, obviously beneficial to the team. So, and because of the age difference between Pant and Saha, you know, if you can groom Pant as a as a good wicketkeeper in home conditions where you can afford to probably where you can probably afford him to drop a few catches at the start of his career, but if you give him the necessary experience now, maybe in another four years he might become a very competent keeper even in home conditions. And obviously, you're you're picking him overseas anyway, so why not pick him at home where you know you can probably afford a few mistake of mistakes of his. Let him develop as a keeper because you can only really develop by playing Test cricket under high pressure environment. Uh, keeping against the likes of Ashwin and Jadeja, you cannot, you don't learn to keep up to Ashwin and Jadeja by playing domestic cricket. So you know, let him keep to Ashwin and Jadeja on a turning track. Let him make a few mistakes. You'll still win the Test match, but let him get that experience, and then he'll be a more competent, competent keeper when he goes overseas as well. He'll be a more confident batsman, and in general, I think that will also. Benefit India as a limited overs team as well because he will carry that confidence through across all formats. But I think Pant is someone who's going to be a very crucial player for India in across all formats of the game over the next over the next decades. So for me, that there's a case for having Pant over 
Sahai in all conditions, purely because I believe they are, because of how superior they are at home to the rest of the world, they can afford an inferior keeper. I wouldn't say, I mean, I, I wouldn't necessarily recommend this to a team like Sri Lanka, for example. If Pant was Sri Lanka, Sri Lanka are not a very strong team at home. They don't generate a lot of chances with the ball. They don't have an Ashwin Jadeja with the ball. So there you need to make every 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 chance count. So you know, if, if Pant and Saha were playing for Sri Lanka, I would pick Saha in subcontinental conditions without batting an island. But I think because of the nature of the Indian team, I think they can afford, take the gamble on the youngster, let him develop, and you know, then he can go on and have a strong career for India across all conditions, across all formats over the next decade. That's no, that's that's quite uh, that's quite the unpacking there. So uh, we've spent 24 minutes. We planned a 40-minute podcast, and this is quite good ground. Whoever's listening, we have enough information on batsman, keeper, and specialist keeper, overseas condition, playing the extra batsman. So, Sabi, if you're okay, we can move on to the next topic. Unless you want to do a quick response, and then we can talk about uh, the other topic we had in mind, which was Inzamam and Sayyid Anwar comparison. Yeah, I think we can move to the next topic. We have covered enough. On yeah. the keeper part. So I like this. Yeah, you don't have to have the last word. So this is good. So so yeah, I know we, we were prepping this, and uh, Sanket also is of the same view. But Sabi, I want to give you the podium first. Why you think uh, Anwar is better, and what irks you? Is he better overall? Is he better in overseas condition? What is there that uh, doesn't meet the eye? Because Osam, Osman Saimuddin also wrote something similar on Crick Info that Said Anwar is underrated. I don't know if he's underrated, but. Uh, Give your give your frame of mind on this. Yeah, I think he's uh, probably he used underrated words because people does not talk about uh, Saidanwar a lot as as he left cricket back in two thousand three. Uh, whereas Inzamam left two thousand seven, and uh, Inzamam actually did quite well in later part of the career as well. Uh, but when when I when I compare Saidanwar versus Inzamam, uh, I thought Saidanwar was was just exceptional, uh, especially in his pro play. Uh, I feel he was Pakistan's best opener. Uh, his his stroke play is remembered by who, all who have privileged to watch him. Um, I think he, he played like 55 test matches uh, and scored around 4,000 runs. Uh, it might might not sound too many runs, but it was average of 45. And, and we're talking about in 90s where uh, the pitches were different and the ballers' quality was, was very different as well. And also, uh, when we talk about the one-day cricket, he, he made around... Um, more than 8,000 runs, and he was averaging around 40. And I remember at one time he was competing with Sachin Tendulkar, where both had both had 17 centuries uh, in in the in the in that format. So uh, at the end, I think he he made 20 centuries, and then he was Pakistani best batsman. Uh, when I when I when I talk about Sai Denver, I remember a couple of his uh, exemplary innings, uh, something like 169 he made in Wellington back in '94. Uh, and then he made uh, one one eighty eight in the Asian Championship Trophy against against India at Eden Gardens. So he, he was he was a good player in in conditions outside uh, Pakistan as well as in in Pakistan. So uh, he, he became famous for his trademark flick. We were talking about ninety. You know he used to score uh, around eighty eight ninety strike rate as well. So he was to be honest, actually he was one player who started this. Uh, started this concept of playing playing fast cricket, uh, where where you have to score a lot of runs early early in the part of the overs, and later on Sachin Tendulkar did that as well, and Fana Jasuria and Great Batch and all that. But uh, yeah, 
uh, if we compare with in Zaman, I mean, Zaman uh, was a quality Pakistani batsman. And and we have already talked a lot about in Zaman. So I think I'll I'll talk about Faisal Mahir only. Sankit, uh, your views on this, I'm sure, is quite similar. But uh, do you want to distinguish anything between Saeed Anwar and Inzamam in this debate, or do you want to bring a different angle to this? I mean, you know, I don't really have much to add here, because I think I, I generally agree with what Sadia said. You know, it's obviously, it's, it's uh, you know, you're comparing opener to a middle order batsman here, so that's in a slightly odd comparison. But yeah, if you just look at the records, and you know, Saeed Anwar has a much better record outside Asia than Inzamam. If you look at Inzamam's numbers, he averages something like 30 in Australia, 31 in South Africa, 42 in England, only place where he averages over 50. Outside Asia is New Zealand where he averages something like 59. And, you know, Saeed Anwar has has better numbers in, in outside Asia. He's, he averages something close to 50 in Australia. He averages 47 in, in England. And I think I believe he averages over 50 in New Zealand as well. And this, this is as an opening batsman, so which, which is a much tougher place to bat, obviously. Uh, than uh, then in batting in the middle order in outside Asia. Uh, and yeah, he, he's done well in India as well. He, he really had a terrific, terrific test in that. Uh, when India, Pakistan toured India in 99, where they played two tests, uh, a two test series, uh, the, the one at Chennai where Tendulkar scored at 136, and the, and, and the Delhi test where you know, Kumble got 10 wickets. And there was another test. That Sabi mentioned, uh, which was the Eden Gardens test, which was not a part of the test series, it was a part of the Asian Test Championship. And, you know, it is, it is probably better remembered for Shoaib Akhtar dismissing Tendulkar and Dravid, but, you know, Saeed Anwar's innings, as Sabi rightly pointed out, happens to be quite underrated, uh, which is something that Osman Samiyadin also mentioned in, in his articles. So, yeah, Saeed Anwar, I think, is again criminally underrated, uh, you know, but I think one of the, one of the probably the Reasons, and I think the, probably the biggest reason why you know he gets you know undersold in comparison to someone like an Enzimam is the sample size because uh, he, he played only 55 test matches as compared to Enzimam who gave 120. So that is you know in terms of longevity, we've got to give it to Enzi, even though he was not the fittest cricketer around, he still managed to have a long career, and that is where you know you've got to give him credit because you don't there are not too many cricketers who gave 120 test matches and average to 50. So that is where obviously Enzi scores over. Anwar, Anwar, I think, was, I think, in terms of ability and in terms of technique and in terms of already of stroke play, I think Saeed Anwar was obviously much better as well. So, yeah, I mean, that's all. But, yeah, I, I, simply comparing... Where, where, okay, Sanket, where would, he, where, where would you rate uh, Saeed Anwar in the last 20, 25 years of the subcontinental openers uh, if you look at through the lens of to, touring abroad in test matches? I think number one, easily, easily. You know, and, and that this is where, again, I feel Saeed Anwar is underrated when, when you compare him to, say, someone like Brendan Sehwag. You know, again, the sample size issue comes here with Sehwag, played over 100 test matches, Anwar played only 55. But if you look at the difference in their records outside Asia, it is huge. Sehwag averaged under 30 in each of England, New Zealand and South Africa, which are the three toughest places to open the batting for a subcontinental opener. And... And he played in an era which was generally much better to bat on than Saeed Anwar. Saeed Anwar played in the 90s where he, and he played in tougher conditions. He also used to play the West Indies, who had a, in West Indies, which had a much, which obviously had a great bowling attack at the time uh, in the form of Curtly Ambrose and Courtney Walsh, where Sehwag faced a much easier West Indies attack as well. Uh, we're talking about outside Asia. Then, you know, Sehwag, he played against, uh, you know, Sehwag 
played in the era where Australia had a great team, but look at the team that actually played when you know Seba toured in Australia in 2003-14. They didn't have Glenn McGrath and Shane Warne, and basically let's go out and miss a couple of test matches. So, uh, whereas Anwar, Anwar faced a very good, very good Australian attack in the 90s as well. He faced a top quality South African attack, and in, you know, I think, I think outside Asia, Said Anwar is clearly, clearly ahead of Glenn Seward, and I, I would probably rank him still as the as the finest Asian opener since uh, since Gavaskar. No, that's heavy praise, but I'm sure you backed it up with numbers. So let's conclude this with two questions, and these questions are unique for both of you. Uh, you'll get different questions, and this is more like a myth that we would like to bust here. Maybe not a bigger myth for some fans. So I'll go to Sabi first. Uh, we had Samir Chopla on the podcast uh, last week talking about the historical relevance of India and Pakistan, and I'm a big fan of Imran, the leader, and I posed him a question about leadership versus captainship. So Sabi, you brought something up uh, that in your past work with uh, uh, when Crick uh, Park Passion was starting, you met with a lot of Pakistani players, and there's a name that you mentioned which surprised me, which is Salim Malik is the best captain or the best tactical captain captain Pakistan never had. So shed some light on that compared with the great Imran Khan. Yeah, so I, you know, I have not watched Imran Khan a lot. So what what I when I talk to the former Pakistani players who who played in 90s, uh, uh, played with Imran as well as. Uh, Salim Malik. Uh, they they rated uh, they rated Imran Khan quite highly as well as a leader. But when you talk about a tactician, uh, they thought Salim Malik was very ahead. Uh, Salim Malik um, at that time, and he captained Pakistan was back in 1995 when when there was a lot of rift um, between in the team. Uh, but he he kept he kept everybody together and. and and uh, brought a lot of good results for Pakistan. Um, he was one of those players, uh, according to the former players, who should have captained Pakistan a quite a lo- long time. But unfortunately, uh, due to the match-fixing involvement, it didn't happen too much. And uh, I think, uh, from my view, again, I'm not here to give views, but I think Anil Kumble is one of the best captains India didn't have. But then there were a lot of other guys who were rightfully captaining the side. So let's bring Sanket for the closing thoughts on a different question here, which he was uh, debating on cr- cricket Twitter. So when we talk about Ravindra Jadeja, a lot of people see as an international, you know, one-day international specialist or, you know, someone who's uh, booming late in his game. But you said he's criminally underrated. So I read that thread and you got some opposition. So Sanket, throw some numbers here. Why is he criminally underrated and what yardsticks are you using? Uh, and who is he getting compared against when he's getting, uh, say, the short end of the stick? Well, I think, uh, you know, when I say he's underrated, personally, when I when I say that, I don't think Judeja is a great spinner necessarily across conditions because his record outside Asia is still still distinctly average. So if, I, if I'm comparing to him to spinners of the, some of the past era, like a, a Kumble, for example, or, you know, obviously the likes of Vaughan or Morley, or even, even someone like Graham Swan of England, who played a few years ago, I don't think, you know, Jadeja is quite an all-round bowler who can bowl in all conditions. Uh, but, you know, when, you, when you're talking about in the context of the modern game, I don't think there's a single spinner right now in Test cricket that hasn't been probably for the last five or six years since the retirement of probably Saeed Ajmal, who I think was the last spinner who could who could bowl across all conditions. So, uh, I, I don't think there's been a spinner since. Rangana Herat has had his moments outside Asia, uh, but even he is retired now. So, you know, there's currently absolutely no active spinner in the game who's, who's good in, in all conditions. People say that Nathan Lyon is a good bowler in all conditions because he does well outside Asia. But, to, you know, a spinner doing well 
a spinner's job is not not just to do well outside Asia as a support act at the fast bowlers, because he must also be capable of winning matches in Asia. And, and that is where, you know, sometimes someone like Jadeja gets taken for granted because, you know, the likes of Ashwin and Jadeja win matches for India so frequently at home. It, it is seen that it is, it, is, it, is, it is their job and they're supposed to do it. Whereas when Nathan Lyon uh, does a job for Australia in Australia, he's, he's primarily a support actor like of Pat Cummins and Josh Hazelwood. But he gets praised to this guy for doing well in conditions where spinners have historically failed. But when Nathan Lyon comes to India or, or in, in the subcontinent in general, he hasn't really won Australia a lot of test matches. His average in Asia is 30. It is quite, you know, it's, it's, it doesn't sound terrible on the face of it, but when you compare it in, a, in, the, in, the, in the context of the run scoring environment and the era that he's played in, he's played, in, played, played on some really, really spin friendly wickets in Asia. He's played at a time when the Asian teams are preparing an increasingly large number of turning tracks to exploit home advantage. And Nathan Lyon hasn't quite been able to outbowl the opposition spinner. So even though he might be outbowling Ashwin and Jadeja at home, when he's got a world-class bowling attack, bowling ahead, pace bowling attack, bowling ahead of him. But when he has to be the when when he has to be the lead man on his own, Nathan Lyon has struggled. And this is where I feel that someone like Nathan Lyon gets overrated in comparison to Jadeja. That Jadeja might not be a match winner outside Asia, but he wins he matches in conditions where he's supposed to win the matches. So I think yeah, Jadeja is underrated in the context of modern game. But the the point that I was making in the tweet that you're probably alluding to is is his all-round ability, and it's not just his bowling because his his record in subcontinental conditions, you know, as an all-rounder ranks with some of the finest of all time. You know, in in particular set of conditions. Obviously, overall, uh, I don't think he's quite there yet. But in subcontinental conditions, I think I don't think there's been a better all-rounder apart from. You know, as as some of the people who actually replied to me and disagreed with me rightly pointed out, the one guy who was, who was better than Vadeja as an all-rounder in subcontinent condition was indeed Imran Khan because he, I think, he had a period in his career where he averaged 50 with the bat and 20 with the ball for nearly a decade. And this is not just in any conditions, but this is all over the world, which is quite extraordinary, really, for for him to maintain such numbers over an entire decade. But if you look at Jadeja's record in isolation, in subcontinental conditions, he averages 39 with the bat and he averages 20, 21 with the ball, which is which is extraordinary. He's got a plus 18 differential between batting average and bowling average, which compares with, you know, favorably to any any of the greatest great all-rounders that you, that you like to talk about, you know, in subcontinental conditions. So, you know, Jadeja is someone who can bat at number six, number seven in Asia. He can... You know, he's, he's, he's someone who can bat very aggressively. He's a counter-attacking batsman against spin. You know, he's someone who's got the ability to score hundreds or fifties very quickly. And he, he and he's relentless with the ball. He's he's in, in subcontinental conditions. He as a, even as a pure bowler, he's for me right up there. I think he's a much better bowler than even Ashwin. And this is there again another reason why I feel he's underrated. You know, not just in comparison to Nathan Lyon, but even in comparison to his own compatriot, Ashwin is often the guy who gets all the plaudits as India's number one spinner. As he's, he's, he's generally seen as India's number one spinner, even though Jadeja has often, often been preferred ahead of him uh, overseas. But because Ashwin was the one who, one who made his debut earlier, and he was already established in the side before Jadeja came and made his debut, maybe that is one of the reasons why Jadeja doesn't quite get the credit he deserves. But you know, if you look at the records and, and the matches that they both played together, Jadeja has a much better record, and Jadeja also has a bet, much better record when it comes to bowling as the top batsman. You know, you look at Ashwin's record against top batsmen; he's he struggled against even in Asia. There have been occasions where you know a batsman like Steve Smith or Alistair Cook 
uh, you know, Joe Root, these guys have gotten gotten on top of him. I don't think I can't, cannot think of a single batsman who's actually gotten the better of Ravindra Jadeja in India. I think he's, he's been consistently relentless, even when Steve Smith scored those three hundreds in in the twenty seventeen series, and he got maybe five hundred runs in four Test matches. You know, he scored at a strike rate of something like thirty three against Jadeja. So he was he faced something like three hundred and fifty deliveries from Jadeja, uh, scored one twenty runs for three dismissals. So that that just shows you that even even the best batsmen of his era had to really really buckle down against Jadeja. Whereas against Ashwin in the same series, he was scoring at a strike rate of close to seventy. So I think that 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 just shows you the difference in class between Jadeja and Ashwin bowlers in subcontinental conditions as well. He Jadeja is someone who's there right at you all the time. He's very accurate, and yeah, he he basically gives you no breathing space. So for me, in subcontinental conditions, Jadeja is as good as there has ever been. He's not an all he's not an all round bowler, but yeah, in Asia he's an absolute master. Well, you definitely pack a lot of punch there with stats and uh, very relevant stats in comparison with the great Imran. And then I'm sure in that list the other names could have been so many of the great plays of uh, yesteryear and today. So I think on that on that note we are up to the mark. We had decided we covered good 40 plus minutes and a lot of relevant topics. The keeper discussion uh, in Zamaa versus Anwar. And uh, Salim Malik being the underrated captain Pakistan never had, and Ravindra Jadeja's prominence uh, as a as the closest thing to a great all-rounder this year has seen. So thank you both of you. Uh, this was quite an insightful conversation as always. Uh, let's do this again, and hopefully this one will trigger a lot of uh, responses because a lot of people may not like one or two responses, and that's all good. If people can disagree, uh, please tag Sanket and myself on Twitter. And otherwise, drop me a line if you disagree with Sabi. I'll convey the message. So thanks for listening to Cricket with an Accent. We will be back with an episode as we try to keep a weekly episode now. Uh, thanks for listening, and bye for now.